So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day. Okay, so now I got one from SP Word. SP Word gives it four stars. SP Word says, there are a lot of podcasts for real estate professionals and several seem to contradict each other. That's interesting. Overall, a pretty good mixture of information and tips mixed in with human interest stories and background. Great to listen to while driving around or hanging around the house. Thank you, SP Ward. Appreciate it. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I have a great guest today. Someone who got licensed the same year I did, right? 1987. And she's been crushing it in Wildwood, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis, ever since. And uh, is the top Caldwell banker agent in Missouri, and uh, she is cranking it out. And uh, we're going to get into some really, really solid stuff today. So I'm excited about this episode. So without further ado, Colleen, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hi, thanks for having me this morning. Hey, Colleen, why don't you tell your, uh, the Rockstar Nation here a little bit about yourself so they can get to know you. Uh, well, as you said, I've been in the business about 31 years. I was 12 years old when I started, <laughs> and um, uh, I have worked, I'm unusual, I think, for a lot of agents in that I have been with the same company that entire time and have just put my nose to the grindstone and worked and worked. But about 12 years ago, uh, the number one agent at Cobalt Banker was getting ready to retire and was thinking about just closing her doors. And through a lot of interesting circumstances, I ended up taking over and transitioning into her business. Now, it's not unusual to hear about secession planning, but at that time, we were really making it up as we went along. Well, I want to find out what you learned from that. And I also want to find out, you know, what makes you so loyal because, of course, the agent community is notorious for switching companies a lot. And uh, so we're going to dig deep into that. I'd like to hear that from your perspective. And uh, But first, let's get to some nitty gritty. So like how many houses have you sold in the last 12 months? About 197 so wow. far. <laughs> oh, so far. Okay. I mean, so far this year and right now we're at the... Uh, end of October. So you're going to do 200 plus? Um, that's always the plan. That's kind yeah. of my bar. Okay. Like good bar, good bar. And um, so what was your, as we like to call it, ECI, your ego commission income on, on um, uh, over the last 12 months, would you say? Um, probably about 1.2 million. 
Okay, beautiful. And what's your net profit on that? Um, it ends up being right around 780. You know, that's pretty good, right? Because 800,000, so about a third. So you're at like 65% or something. That's um, right. In my, in my dreams, I would love to be at uh, a 25% on cost, but um, I don't think you can do it right. I don't think you can get the right people. And you like, can't sell 200 houses. I mean, I shouldn't say you can't, but, but yeah. you know, you might be able to do that with, with 100 or, or 60 or something. But Right. So, okay, so, well, let's talk about that. So, great percentage, 78%, actually crazy, and that's, and that's off the top, right? So, you're, no, 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 what, what, what do we say, 65%. So, that's yeah. off the top. So, like, uh, how do you sell 200 houses? Is it just you? Do you have a team? What, what's uh, described this here? So, I have a team. When I took this business over, there were a lot of people that were straight commission on the team. But I also took it over full-fledged in 2008. And we know what was happening in 2008. And I learned really quickly that some of those positions really needed to be tied to production. So I switched people over to flat fee, got rid of a lot of uh, uh, salaried folks and um, kind of streamlined the business that way. So at this point, I have a closing manager who gets $2,000 a month just so I know she can make a house payment. And then she gets a flat fee of probably $400 per closing that keeps her incented to make sure those properties get to the closing table. I do have a salaried listing manager and Caroline really is kind of my girl Friday. I can throw anything at her all day long, and she will do it. Many years ago, uh, I heard from an agent, there are two different kinds of folks on your teams, uh, farm animals and jungle animals. Jungle animals go out and kill what they eat, so they're in sales. And then the farm animals are the folks that show up every day, and as long as you're feeding them, they show up and do their job. So she really takes care of everything that just needs to get done day in and day out. She especially has grown really good at working social media and all of our advertising platforms. I have a listing manager that takes a small percentage of every listing sold. And she's my mini-me because especially in the spring, I cannot be, go to five listing appointments in a day and do a very good job. So we'll kind of divide and conquer. Then she does follow up with agents, gives feedback. We'll sit down and I'll target which properties she needs to talk to about maybe adjusting price or condition every week. And then I have two buyer agents who, of course, take a, a little bit off of, or I take a little bit out off of their sales. Uh, everybody I've ever seen coaching teams says never pay a buyer's agent more than 50% of the commission. Um, I pay more than that. Um, I pay about 60 to 65%. But I have two excellent agents that nail down somewhere between 15 and $20 million a year. They work like soldiers. And when they bring me listings off of buyers that maybe have come off of an inquiry from Zillow or whatever, they don't take any part of that list. So um, I feel like that compensation is really fair. At 50%, I would get average buyer agents, and I want superhuman buyer agents. You want buyer agents that are going to close the deal. So essentially, it's sort of like you're getting 
a really fat referral fee if you were to refer it out, exactly. a 35% referral fee, but you have nothing to do with it. And, and you know that they're, you know, solidly that they're taking care of it and they're going to get it closed and, and done and you don't got to worry about it. So you don't worry about them. And at the same time, you don't feel, I, I, I sense you don't feel beholden to them, like where you need to provide more leads to them. You need to, you know, be training them. You, you know what I mean? Like you, you have that sense about you that you're, you have a small, very tight, strong team. And right. And your job on the team is listings, right? I mean, that's all right. you're doing is going on listing appointments, listing houses. Mm-hmm. And maybe, uh, and I always say, if a problem gets to me, it's really a problem. <laughs> so, you know, because everybody's pretty much able to keep everything on track along the way. And it really, especially with the buyer's agent, comes down to this. Um, Time is money. And when I don't have to invest a moment in training and qualifying a buyer and putting somebody into my car and driving them around, but I'm making money off of those actions, then I'm just not going to be greedy. And it's working really well for this team. You know, here's the thing. I mean, we've kind of gotten away from that and, and it worked so well. It really did where you know, you had a specialist where, you know, you are specialists in listing. That's what you're great at. Any lead that comes in, they know, here, give this to Colleen and I'm not going to get anything from it or I'm not going to do it myself. She does that. But at the same time, there's reciprocity. If Colleen gets a buyer, she's going to give it to me. Right. right? And that's my specialty. Mm-hmm. And um, for, you know, a lot of teams have gotten away from that where they're letting buyers agents do buyers and and listings and vice versa and 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 i'm not saying one way is right or one way is wrong but certainly the way you have it has a very high profit margin and uh seems like is probably less stress for you because you're just going out like the jungle animal right and killing it you know list like you said five listing appointments a day is doable for you Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And again, um, the buyer agents that I'm lucky enough to have on my team, and interestingly, it, they're both men, which is a little different, I think, because ladies are very intuitive. But these two guys, among other things, hate listings and they love buyers. So that works well. Yeah, yeah that is different. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and in my mind, these days, I'm more confident referring um, complete strangers to two guys rather than some cute 20 something young lady meeting somebody. (laughs) (laughs) So that's hilarious. So, well, you know, here's the thing, Uh, rightfully so listings are scary business. You know, you really got to know your shit to do a listing appointment if you're competing against other people, right? Or if they're going to have a close ratio as good or better than Colleen's, which you've probably after 30 some years have set a very high bar. Like chances are, you know, when someone calls you on a listing appointment in your area, you're going to have sold a couple of houses on the street itself or in the neighborhood itself, or you're going to know, oh, I know your next door neighbor, this such and such. And oh, I know the president of your homeowners association, right? I mean, you're going to, you're going to be so much more powerful, right, than them on listing appointments. 
Um, I'm to the point now where I, I've walked in cold to the same house that I've sold two times previous in the last 30 years. With so, different people, yeah. With different people that didn't know I had the listing when they bought it or are the people before that bought it. Yeah, you're like, oh, I've sold this house twice before, but we've never met. I'm glad right. you called me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Did you know that this used to be uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a pottery room or a wine cellar or yeah, I love what you've whatever. done with the place, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing read for agents who want to blow their business up. Six Steps to Seven Figures was an amazing read. Pat breaks it down into simple, actionable steps that have taken will almost guarantee seven-figure success in the real estate sales business. Couldn't recommend this enough. Wow. Thank you for the awesome Amazon review, Gero215. Now, do you want to get your hands on this book for free and blow your business up? Here's how. Go to freesixstepsbook.com. That's free, S-I-X, stepsbook.com right now. Or simply text the word PAT to 444-999. That's text PAT to 444-999, and I'll send you a free book. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so let's talk about the, the so where did like, you know, outside of SOI, because obviously on, on, you know, I mean, we're going to have the typical cliches when it comes to being in the business 31 years, you're going to get a ton of a, list, a ton of leads from SOI referrals. So outside of that, are, are you are you aggressively doing anything to get more leads? Well, I do uh, advertise and work really heavily on Zillow and Trulia, and that truthfully comes down and is probably the best place for leads because I find myself maybe generating um, three to five inquiries in an average week, and if they're real buyers or sellers, we're converting them um, you know, I would say probably 80% of the time at best. Aside from that, Every time I try and look more toward the web as a place to generate uh, leads and I pull back a little bit from direct mail, I see that that really impacts my business. So I still do snail mail um, that's very targeted, uh, as much as 10 to 30,000 pieces at least four times a year into very targeted neighborhoods. And it's not unusual for me to walk into a house, and it may be a house where somebody's going into a nursing home and their kids came in from out of town, and there's like three of my postcards on a magnet on the refrigerator, you know, and that's why they called me. So that direct mail um, that's very targeted to the neighborhoods where I know there's good turn uh, and neighborhoods with good demand, um, over time, whenever I think, oh, snail mail's getting old, whenever I pull back from it, I go right back to it. Wow. Okay. A couple of things here that I made note of, I want to ask you. Okay. So first of all, take me to Trulia. A lot of people, you know, of course, Zillow, Realtor, you know, those are the typical ones. Uh, Trulia is tending to be the Snapchat of the industry, the MySpace, you know, where it's starting to get less and less 
attention. Um, why, why do you choose to put money into Trulia? Let, talk to me about that. Well, I would say that um, since Zillow and Trulia are kind of in the same hat, um, when I do get a Trulia lead, I'm not even sure it's coming from the little bit of money I'm spending there versus really out of everything that I'm doing with Zillow because I try to have a pretty decent presence presence on Zillow, and it still amazes me every I mean, do you, day. Do you pay Trulia? But you pay Trulia separately, right? Yeah, but it's a it's very minor, a couple of hundred bucks just to be there. So you don't let you, so you're just, okay. So, so it's really a Zillow thing is what you're right. Doing. It is. It is. Okay. But and then, on, yeah, but on Zillow every week I got people calling me thinking I'm the listing agent on, on properties and then we just take them and run. Yeah. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. What, yeah. so what, um, so what, um, talk to me about um, how you target. Like, so it's only four times a year, which is a lot less than a lot of people would tell you to do, but it's extremely effective. And for some reason, people save these postcards. Like, what are you doing in these postcards that make them so save worthy? Well, so I just had a meeting with my team yesterday because I'm getting ready to really pound. I'll probably put out two or three pieces between now and January, looking forward to next year's listings. And so one of those will probably be something that has a, has a testimonial or two on it. Another piece will probably be for that neighborhood, I'll just run, these are the homes that have sold in your neighborhood in the last 12 months, and I'll list each address and the sale price. People kind of like to hold on to that. Uh, I'm not a fan of post of uh, recipes. Um, I think so it's more like a market analysis kind of? Yeah, it's just a straight line I'll run. If there's been eight sales, I'll list every sale and the sale price and just say, here's the market activity in your neighborhood. Call me if you want to know. Everything has to have a call to action on it. In addition to that, I do still snail mail my SOI, which probably um, runs north of about 6,000 people at this time. Those are just local. And uh, we do probably four events a year that will direct mail off of those as well. So, so what do you, for instance, so, yeah, so let, let's talk so, about that. So, so for what do you send them? Yeah. For Thanksgiving, we double tagged them and we sent out an evite and a postcard, but we're giving away pies the week before Thanksgiving and they have to RSVP. That uh, evite went out on Friday and yesterday, I think we had 50 RSVPs and every one of them was like, hi, how are you? I'm so glad you're still doing this. And when they come to pick those up, we have wine, we have hors d'oeuvres and people will end up there just, they'll drive 15 miles to pick up a darn pie and stay and chat for a half hour. So it's kind of an exhausting day, but it's a really good touch. And I can usually attribute, that's it, Thanksgiving, and I can usually attribute, gosh, eight or 10 sides off of that meet and greet. So in the, um, uh, we just had an air show here, and so we used our parking lot as a place to watch the air show because we're real close to the airport. And we had hot dogs and uh, I brought some wine and we probably had about 200 people at that because it was a little chilly and cloudy. Uh, but that was good and I already had two listing leads from that. Uh, we did do a movie usually 
sometime when the weather's not great, either uh, January, February, maybe into March, and we run out of movie theater. So all of those are, I'm kind of drifting back toward SOI, but that touch is great. For the direct mail pieces, I like the list of houses in their neighborhood. Um, that we can throw out to those neighborhoods. And of course, we disclaim that we're not saying we sold every one of them in small type at the bottom, but, but it certainly gives an impression that we at the very least know what's going on in their neighborhood. And uh, testimonials are amazing. I am surprised still every time I go on a listing call at how many people have really dug deep into me. They know that my testimonials, they know I like to fish. They know I went to Spain last. I mean, they know more about How do they know all I that stuff? Because they're on my website. They're on, I think they probably go to my Facebook page. Pictures of you fishing? <laughs> yeah. You put pictures a, of you fishing on your postcards? Uh, no, but I have it on, uh, uh, I have it in various places, I guess, on the web. And I walk in and people, I was in a listing call last week and the lady said, uh, I was selling her dad's house. He was right there. My postcard was on the wall, but she was talking about how her dad's a fly fisherman and she knows I love to fly fish. So There you so, go. I mean, there you go. I mean, but people stalk you nowadays, you know what I mean? They and it's do. okay. You know what I mean? They it's really okay. Do. You want them to they, because that person bonded with you before you even met them. Mm -hmm. They really do know a, a lot about me. And frankly, sometimes I think, should I make my persona be a little bit of everything to all people or should I just be me and attract the people that like what they see and that's kind of yeah. where I go And it's that. not like people are going to dislike you because you yeah. fish. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think you can, I think you can be. Just be me. And then be, I just, yeah. well, and maybe you're attracting people that you're going to be um, more in tune with and enjoy working with more. Right. And yeah. I think I, I'm not a fisherman, but I mean, I have fished. <laughs> but I, I might be, I might like you more because you're authentic. You know, just the fact that you I like guess. fishing, right? I, I mean, like, it's like, okay, well, you know, she has a life, right? Yeah. Um, but it is odd that um, uh, I walk in and this lady's talking about how she knows her dad and I have this affinity for fish. And I have no idea where she found that, but she knew it as a fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's an, and I think it's a great thing. So let's talk about the retirement thing um, with the other agent, how you yeah. inherited the business. Most particularly, I want to talk about the lessons you learned in case people listening are, you know, have aspirations to do this. Maybe you could give them some advice. So first of all, t tell me like how this happened and, and what sort of business this woman was or man or whoever it was, was doing that sort of thing. So um, Kathy Irvin, Hence, my, the team I run is called the Irvine team, um, and I'll circle back around to why it's still called that. But Kathy that was her Irvine. name. Her name yeah. was Kathy Irvine. Irvine. Yeah. So okay. she was um, she was probably the number one agent in Missouri a year or two. She was consistently number one for Cobalt Banker, which at that time probably had twelve hundred agents. So she was really a powerhouse. She and I both worked in the same office. Um, since she was there, she was always number one, and I was always number two or three. And I just slogged along, make, doing without a team or anything, probably about seven, eight million dollars a year. So you were, you were a workhorse. You sold her listings a lot. 
you know, she was always taking the spotlight. Now, what, uh, what year was it that she decided to retire? In about 2006, she had some health issues and started thinking about that. I didn't, I'll be frank and say that she and I did not know each other very well because we were both just in, we weren't standing around the coffee pot every day. We were both just out there working hard. But at one point, she had somebody who was kind of her go-to team person that had health issues. She had health issues and she just was about ready to say, I am done. Um, my broker, a very uh, smart woman by the name of Carol Molina, wasn't going to have any of that. And so she came to me and was rather Machiavellian, I guess. She said, Colleen, can you just help Kathy while, Don, while uh, Linda's out for a little bit and just um, see if you can't get her through this? So I worked with her just to kind of help her with, you know, if she's carrying 50 listings and she's doing it all by herself and she's not 100%. So I just worked with her, kept my business going. And naturally, within probably 60 days, she said, you know, you and I should probably talk. We kept working together. I rolled my business into hers, but we had nothing formal going on. And she, um, uh, about six months later, walked into my office, threw a file down on my, on my desk and said, okay, let's do this. So we went and both of us <laughs> lawyered up and put together a plan that um, we ascribed a dollar amount her business was worth. Uh, I started running the entire show and she took a percentage of the business until we met that. It probably took me about two years longer than I thought it would because that was when the market absolutely crashed. Right, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, okay, so wait a minute. And, so let, let, let me slow this down a little bit. So. She had cancer or something, right? She was she like she had had heart issues and had like quintuple bypass surgery. So she was quitting clearly, yes. right? She's like, uh -huh. I quit. Yeah. You in out? Are you in or you out? And then you're uh -huh. like, okay, I'm in. And so, first of all, the first question that comes to mind, which a lot of people ask, is what multiple of her EBITDA? So what multiple of her net profit did you use to determine what her business is worth? Gosh, Roughly. I'm thinking we looked at a year's, what her year's business was, and at that time we doubled that. So 2x, yeah. Yeah, and then said, okay, let's take commissions and split them. I carried expenses and took the majority of commissions. She took about 25% of each commission, and we kept a running book until we met that goal. And okay. had, had the market stayed as it was, probably would have been about a two-year uh, transition, uh, maybe three. But if the, mar if the market had stayed as it was and growth had continued as it had the, say, two or three years prior. But instead, the market probably went down to about 60% of the prior year's volume oh, yeah. and then gradually came back. So it took us probably about five years to wrap that up, but, um, but it but, still worked and we both paid our bills. Um, but, was but, really but, let me, but here's the thing, right? It might've been good for her cause it stretched her money out. Yeah. Tax-wise, too, it, it right. would probably benefit it. So I'm going to just slow this down a little bit so people understand this clearly. So 
basically what they they took her net profit from her team which included her working right i mean like she this included her working so they took her out um net profit and times the times two right times the net times two and then uh took 25 percent off the top of any deal that came from the business until it reached that amount till it reached the two x amount that right determined, and then it didn't take two years as it would have normally taken. It took five years uh, because the market tanked. Okay, cool. So, uh, so what did you do to ensure right that her business was, you know, still coming in that people knew. You know, uh, she didn't. I mean, you have to create an illusion that she really didn't quit, right? That 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 she's involved, and that you're, you know, you know, running things now. Which, rightly or wrongly, is the way you have to do it when you do this. I mean, Johnny Cochran did this before he died with Cochran Law Firm 15 years ago, and they still run ads called the Cochran Firm. Right. People right. think he's alive again. Um, so what did? So tell me <laughs> what you did. You know. So and like I said, now there's a lot. Uh, there can, there's a lot of coaching, and there's a lot out there about how to do that transition. We just kind of felt our way through. So one of our biggest concerns certainly was if Kathy wasn't there, was was that going to result in a loss of business? Would this just flatten out and disappear? What was going to happen with that? What we both found, and we found very quickly, is that people just want their house sold, and they don't accept. I would say in the first year, she didn't just completely walk away. She said to me, I will do anything you want me to do. I'm just not going on any more appointments. I don't want to talk to buyers. I don't want to talk to sellers. And that's fine. If she really enjoyed doing, like, creating the postcards and doing that sort of sort of work along the way. Uh, maybe in the first year, I had to dust her off and take her on two listing appointments where, where as I termed it, they really needed to see the Kathy. And so she came along, even though she was like, I haven't looked at a market analysis. I don't know nothing, but I'll come along. <laughs> Just sit here so, and smile, Kathy. <laughs> so, so, um, so I brought the Kathy with me a couple of times. Um, our, we really Kathy. did have a big concern about that, and, and um, it really was not well-founded. If you're doing a good job and that house is getting sold, that is everybody. It, it, I felt like it was more of our ego thing than it had anything to do with Well, it. here's it another thing that helped. I mean, it helped that you're a super great agent, a solid agent, right? I mean, if it would have been a brand new agent, you know, or, or someone who wasn't the caliber, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother story because their biggest right. fear is that, oh, no, I'm going to get someone less than Kathy. I'm not going to get the Irvine team, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's all about proving that fear wrong. Sure. And she did have a team at that time. And I would say within two years, I had made some changes to that team. But as we did that original transition, there was a, a marketing manager and there was a closing manager that some of those folks were already familiar with. So there were some other bodies in the space that people were comfortable with and knew. Um, I would say that we as people 
were very different. The, the thing we had in common and still have in common is that we both just work hard. We're mm. obsessed with working hard. And, and so we had that in common. But Kathy is very much a ready, fire, aim person. She just is a doer. And let's figure it out after we do it. I come from a family of engineers and accountants, and I'm much more analytical. So as we worked together in that transition in the first year, I learned to not be paralyzed by analysis more just go do it a little more and she learned that gee like maybe we should look at our ROI before we throw all that money at something and we really um, learned a lot from each other but it was really dumb luck she had had um, over the couple of years prior to that probably a half a dozen agents talked to her about taking over her business if and when that time came but each one of them really came to her with, okay, this is how I want to do it. And mm -hmm. when she and I talked, I was like, okay, you built this, this machine. What do you want from this? And, and I really looked at it from what do you want rather than what I thought I needed. And um, maybe she got a little bit better of the end of the deal. But I ended up with this fabulous business. That I, I still must. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, by the way, because um, the even, even though it was 10, 11 years ago, even the deals being done today, and I, trust sure. me, they, they've been on my show, are at about two and a half times the earnings. And, you know, so, so two times earnings spread out over five years. Is, uh, is 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 in line with what people yeah. are selling their teams for today. So I think it's sure. I think it's I don't think she necessarily got the better half. I think you both got a great deal, and the the fact that you were were able to pay it in referral fees um, helped you because otherwise the market would have tanked, and then all of a sudden you would have had this debt instantly right. that you would be beholden to, and so any other way would have been bad for you. So that worked mm -hmm. out good for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interest-free you know you were able to pay off <laughs> yeah. this debt for five years yeah as a member of the rock star nation you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text Toolbox to 444-999. That's Toolbox to 444-999. No, that's great. Okay, and so let's talk about, you know, you've been at Caldwell Banker 38 years. Currently, there's a, there's a, there's a firestorm of, of, of recruiting going on. It's just, it's just incredible. I talk to brokers, you know, a lot on this show and I ask them, you know, what is one headache that they wish 
could be cured uh, more than any other headache. And they say recruiting and retention. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, that's why we, we at Rebus University, we're building a course now on recruiting and retention. But it's just a lot of companies are very aggressive in their recruiting space. Pretty much just uh, it's, it's, it used to be um, frowned upon to some degree, uh, you know, and, and, and now that's all gone right now. Sure. Everybody's getting recruited by everybody. So out in the open, uh, tell me why, you know, how you've benefited and what your philosophies on are on staying with the same company for 30 plus years. Well, I will say that I probably get recruited on a weekly basis, <laughs> and that's fine. More than ever before, right? Always, and very aggressively, and in a lot of different ways. I'll have somebody say, oh, come and speak at this, but it's really speaking, you know, it's just kind of whatever. So, really getting um, to know them and their culture. And, yeah. So yeah, sure. I have that's, a, that's, a, that's a good been, strategy. Yeah. yeah, I have always been recruited. There are so many different ways to structure commissions and expenses and, and all of that. But I have stuck with Cobalt Banker through it because for a couple of reasons. Here locally, all, all 31 years started with Gordon Gundaker, who had really, Gundaker was an independent that was purchased by Cobalt Banker. Gordon Gundaker is a small man with a huge heart and mm-hmm. very successful. And the kind of guy, I think he's in his 80s now, that every month at our sales rally would go, guys and gals always treat the customer right. And that was his philosophy. He's like the guy from Jerry Maguire, the mentor, right? From Jerry yeah, Maguire. so he just always, that always <laughs> rang true to me. This is a big company in this town. We have the, um, we probably have almost a 30% market share in the market. And there's about 1,400 agents at Cobalt Banker. But our corporate leadership are good, smart people that do the right thing. That means a lot to me. Um, I feel like I have resources to help me sell property, help me get out people out of trouble if they do something bad when they're trying to buy or sell. Um, I just feel like I have a lot of people behind me. I've only had two brokers in that time, and they are both smart with great senses of humor. They know their contract inside, outside, upside down, and that means a lot to me. So... I kind of, the short answer is give me a for sale sign and a cell phone and just let me sell houses. Yeah, that's the short answer. But you also, you also said some valid points, which is good for brokers and managers listening to this, um, which we have more and more actually there, you know, and and they're coming on more and more as guests and, and uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback from them. I think they listen to it and then they use the ideas here in their sales meetings and stuff, which is cute. So, which is great. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Anyway, so you said a couple of things. First of all, you said they have good senses of humor, which means they're not stodgy, right? Like they're they're authentic, like you, right? Um, you and, know and what? Buyers preach loyalty, and, right? and agents are hysterical. I mean, there's so much funny stuff that happens, and to, and at the time maybe it doesn't seem funny, but to have somebody um, that can help you keep a little bit of perspective when you're in the weeds is really invaluable. I think. Okay, perspective when you're in the weeds—that's great. That's that that's good. I like that. And you know, just somebody who isn't bothering you, isn't micromanaging you, but just stepping in 
and being Colleen, how you doing? Uh, and you're like busy, busy as hell. And they're like, Hey, you know, keep perspective. Can't wait to, you know, think about that fish on the hook, whatever. <laughs> kinda, you know what I, mean? I think you've been in my office. That's yeah. And then, and then patting you on the back, giving you a hug, and then, and then rolling out, right? That's it, you know? Uh-huh. And, then, and then the other thing you said was interesting, which I want to touch on. They know the contract inside and out. Why is that important to you? Well, because there are so many brokerages now where the broker um, manages the office but really isn't managing the agents. And really the agent, if they have problems with a contract, Uh, I know from where I sit, sometimes when I have a problem with the other side, I don't have a broker that we can climb a ladder to, to try and and work out a solution or fix a problem. Because the broker's inexperienced or because the broker's non-existent or both? The broker is running the office, collecting expense, you know, collecting the rents or whatever from, from the agents, but they aren't really managing uh, so they the might be training, they might be, they might be managing, you know, like you said, I guess expenses and office type stuff that really like an office and recruiting and person. Oh, and recruiting. Oh yeah. And recruiting, but, but they, they but they don't know, but they don't understand law or, or they re- sometimes you run into that. Every word in that contract has a nuance to it. And I think if you really understand it. You can muscle through and keep deals together. Right now, um, I have a 100% close rate over the last 60 days. So everything that we've written has closed. And I don't think that's, I mean, there's a lot more fallout in the real world (laughs) when you're writing contracts, I think. Yeah, nowadays, yes. Absolutely. Especially inexperienced agents, right? So you're saying you write them good. You write them solid. Well, and that, I mean, you write them solid, but then you, you can just uh, arm wrestle folks all the way through that process to get it to the closing table. So, um, but yeah, looking at all, I mean, when I see it, some, the way some contracts are written or not written and that sort of thing, and it really isn't that. It's just that if uh, there's a real disagreement uh, on a building inspection or there's a problem with a loan to be able to muscle around. I hate to say it, but there are times when I go right past an inexperienced agent to their buyer's uh, lender and sort things out to get something to the close. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, know, this is a great lesson in, in how to retain the top agents, right? Because like you, the top agents, they don't want to be bothered with all those other things that we mentioned that, that a manager right, right. or a broker is doing. You don't need all that. You've been in business 31 years. You don't need FISBOs and expired training, right? You don't need, you know, an explanation of the home inspection addendum. Um, what you need is when, you know, something has happened that is totally obscure to you and you don't, you know, it's never happened before and you just need someone powerful to come in and give you advice on it. And that's really all you need, that and a pat on the back every once in a while, you know. Sure, and, or to have somebody that if I, uh, for instance, I had somebody that uh, was a buyer and then they had terminal buyer's remorse, but really didn't have any way out of that contract, but that doesn't mean they're not going to show up to be able to walk into my broker's office, close the door, sit down and get on a conference call with that person. I, my broker is younger than me. I think we probably um, have about the same knowledge of the contract and everything, 
But when that client is hearing it, not just from me, but from the broker, maybe it carries a little more weight and we can get it resolved. And that's important mm -hmm. to me. Did you terminal buyer, terminal <laughs> buyer's remorse? How many houses did they, did they, you know, <laughs> they get scared? It, you know what? They bought it and turned around and sold it 60 days later because they really didn't want it. But guess what? We sold it to them and then I listed it and sold it when they moved on. <laughs> wow, I'm surprised I didn't use another agent because they were so, so mad that they didn't go it, through it. It, it's, it was surprising all the way along. So I mean, you got to own it on, on some level. You got to own it, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, and I think that's good to hear too because there are people with terminal buyer's remorse. And, and I love it when, age, when agents actually explain buyer's remorse to buyers. They, you, know, you know, I've had agents come on the show that say oh, to, to the scripts to their buyers are – let me tell you what's going to happen next after they write the offer. Right. Step one, you're going to get buyer's remorse. And they're, going to, they're like, what? Yeah, you're going to get buyer's remorse. It happens to everybody. You're going to start saying, did we make the right decision? Did we overpay? You know, da -da 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 -da. what about the slight road noise? What about this? What about that? Da -da -da. That's natural. It's going to happen. You just got to breathe into it, you know, and then by day three, it will be gone. Um, then in the step, next step, we schedule the home inspection, right? I mean, you almost have to like set it up that this oh, is. Oh, absolutely. Happen. Managing expectations all day, every day. That's awesome. Well, th th this has been great, uh, Colleen. This, this has been great. I, I love uh, having people on the show that are solid like you and that, 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 that know how to do it and do it well. And uh, I appreciate you sharing everything that you have. You've got an incredible profit margin you've got an incredibly tight team and i think a lot of teams lose their profitability by having a lot of loosey-goosey agents that 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 have crappy close ratios and then they end up having to spend more money to get leads because the close ratios are so bad and spend more time training another person everybody on my team has been an agent for a long long time uh, my one of my buyer's agents has been in the business 20 years. So he's been with me. He stepped out of the business when the market crashed and came back to me when it came back. So he's been with me seven years. The other one, five. Caroline's been with me over 10. Peggy's been with me at least five. I mean, I don't churn and burn. And I see an awful lot of that in this business. And do you have any interest at all in uh, when you see these other teams, right, with uh -huh. – that, that are large, right? That have right. bigger, much bigger than yours. Do you, do, you, do you ever get tempted to grow the team or are you like, nope, this is how I like it? I spend more than half of my life in this business and with these people. And um, uh, I will probably in the spring uh, probably add one more person because uh, I know we'll start squeaking a little bit. But Overall, if I can keep my costs down, keep the profits up, I have four people with kids in college. I feel like part of my job is to keep this, this team healthy enough that we get everybody through college <laughs> um, it, it, you know, and keep this going. I mean, I it, and also you're at the, the, the million dollar mark is tempting too, right? To be able to, you know, yeah. you're almost there where you're netting a million dollars. It'd be nice to ring that bell. But yeah. at the same time, like you said, if, if that's going to take adding four bad agents, it's not worth it. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just not, you know? 
I guess over time, and maybe it's just because I'm old, but I kind of feel like quality over quantity um, is kind of how we're going to ring our bells around this place. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about your free gift. What uh, free gift did you bring to Rockstar Nation today? I brought my pre-listing presentation, which is really, like I said, setting expectations. There's an awful lot of folks that do that, but there's an awful lot of people that don't have anything that they either drop off or email to people. So it just kind of goes through the process and is really kind of a what to expect um, on that appointment because it's scary to have people walk into your house and look in your closets. So, um, so it's just a step-by-step of what they can expect on that appointment itself and a little bit about how we market property. Sometimes I will also include some um, uh, specific uh, market analysis information so they have a chance to digest that before we get together. Um, In the past, I used to hand deliver that all the time. Now, more and more, we uh, send it by email as a package. Mm. And I also include usually a little bit short video to introduce. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's great. So you used to make it like a two-step listing. First step's dropping it off. Now you're just emailing it, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. And um, how do you make sure they read it, or do you just let that go to lock? Pretty much they do, but I, I, I'm old school. I use the phone a little bit more than text, and I'll call them and tell them it's coming, and then I'll confirm that appointment uh, the day of the appointment and ask them if they had a chance to look through that, and if they have any questions, we can go over it when we meet. I, I, you know, and I don't know if it, 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 you can call it old school, but you could also call it effective, right? Like if somebody calls me and says, did you read it? I'm probably going to read it before they get there. But if they text me and say, did you read it? I might not be as, you know, it's interesting. Um, well, but, and I tried to kind of approach it as like I was, uh, uh, targeting someone with ADD. It is, is not overwhelming. I don't think, I think too much information, they won't read it. So we tried to mm. dumb it down and keep it not dumb, but simple. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. All right. Great. Well, that, that's a good one. And guys, that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that on hybendigital.com backslash Colleen Lawler. And it's C O double L double E C O double L double E N Lawler L A W L E R hybendigital.com backslash Colleen Lawler. And uh, I'm also going to put it in the agent success toolbox, which can be found on hybendigital.com backslash toolbox, or simply texting the word toolbox to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. Colleen, this has been fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, if I'm ever in your neck of the woods, I will definitely um, look you up and we'll get together and break some bread as, as graduates of the 1987 a Real Estate License, of course. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button yes hit subscribe please the more subscribers that we get on real estate rock stars the better guests are attracted to the shows we'll get more guests from the top companies from the top teams and even more celebrity guests like robert kiyosaki and barbara corcoran also 
If you're not a member of our free Facebook group, go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers. And I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.